Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Chrislaw, um, editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, and what we saw was a continuation of the inflation trends that we've been seeing. I think the biggest change last week was that the Fed signaled very clearly that they're planning to raise interest rates by 50 basis points per session, but they also spoke with a lot more clarity about how they're trying to get to a neutral rate by the end of the year, which to me sounds incredibly dovish and incredibly inflationary. So the fact that we are still in an accommodative monetary policy sp- stance with eight and a half percent CPI is kind of crazy to me. So the fact that the Fed is waiting 10 more months or eight more months to get to a, a neutral stance is pretty crazy. Like we should be tightening. <laughs> By neutral, they mean 2%, right? They mean, well, this is points in some of the quotes. Some people were saying like one and a half percent. I think another person said two and a half to three percent. Again, you know, there's accommodative monetary policy, there's neutral, and then there's restrictive monetary policy. And in every other era, eight and a half percent inflation would require a restrictive monetary policy in order to fight. So the Fed is just like letting the inflation fire burn and they don't seem to care. This is a, a lot of recession talk. Some of the earnings calls, I saw a discussion around a mild recession. And I mean, what's your take on that? One of the speakers from the Fed, the Toronto Fed, who said they have zero tolerance for a recession this year. Is that even possible for this kind of policies that they're instituting right now and the inflation? Yeah, which is exactly why they're still too accommodative. Even though they're moving in a tightening direction, they're still extremely accommodative and extremely dovish, which means that inflation expectations aren't really going to be handled. If you're not becoming restrictive, you're going to have either more inflation or you you take the medicine of the recession. So in one of the talks for them, I think a surprising admission by one of the speakers, I think was the IMF director, said, that they create unintended consequences from certain actions. And she gave the example of accommodative monetary policies and especially the quantitative easing, which has kind of created the inflation. I think that's a fast direct linkage from the, the accommodative policies with inflation that I've seen of any like senior person, especially in one of the financial institutions of the world, like the IMF and the World Bank and the Federal Reserve are under. They don't admit that linkage. Any thoughts on that? I don't know why. (laughs) I know. I I think we had this conversation some point last year when they were talking about transitory. And it's like, either they are totally ignoring the data and therefore committing malpractice, or they have like some agenda behind the scenes they're not planning to talk about publicly. And again, I'm reading these quotes and I'm trending towards this belief that they have an agenda. They actually want the inflation. They want to create the inflation. How could you act in any other way? If you were the least bit actually concerned about the inflation, how could you possibly be saying it'll be okay for us to be at a neutral rate by the end of the year? Inflation, by the way, is the number one political topic in the United States. If you look at political polling, we have midterm elections going on right now. People are voting based on their inflation experience. This is the biggest concern that the average voter has about the economy in the United States right now, which is even more crazy. The Federal Reserve is just like, turning a deaf ear to this. Some of these uh, things that also came up, we came across, uh, I think it was last week kind of financials reporting and a lot of talk about 
the dynamics that are playing out in the private markets because of what's happening in the public markets. I think some of them include that, of course, VC investment, IPO and later stage invest, private investments slow down in Q1. That's not surprised because I, that's directly coming from frothy markets. So the markets are not good. Nobody wants to IPO. And I think I know one of the CEOs, I think was the NAFTA CEO saying that there are a lot of companies that are actually waiting to go public. They're just waiting for the markets to get a little bit better. So I think there's a good pipeline of uh, companies that are waiting to go public. Yeah, I think it, the most interesting one of those quotes to me was to talk about the dynamic of smaller first-time private equity venture funds having a harder time getting raised than the later stage ones. It's a sign of, and juxtaposing that against later stage investments having trouble entering public markets but early stage investments receiving funding. It shows risk intolerance on the part of capital allocators, unlike the pension endowment side, but it shows risk tolerance on the fact on the part of fund managers who are, you know, the, the early stage fund managers. So I think my, the interesting part of that for me was the fact that the bigger funds tend to ra are, are raising more, the one with the strongest track records. And I think it's something that is obvious going into recessions. You have to show a strong track record to actually receive funding. So these smaller ones, the ones that are starting out, I think they're going to have a really, really difficult time going on. And one of my favorites actually to companies to follow is Blackstone and they had uh, an incredible inflows of cash uh, of in the Q1 as compared to others who are actually shrinking at the end of the day. So it's an interesting dynamic, I think, I think in, the, in, the, in, the, in the markets as it goes. Something that to keep going. And maybe something else, of course, there was a Netflix story, which has been one of the biggest uh, takeaways from last week. We've been following this topic very nicely for the last, I think, three months or so. We noticed it early in the year and we've been following up the topic on how People are becoming somehow fatigued, uh, having too many subscription options. And because of that, they're choosing to cut down on some of this spending. And because of that, then some of these streaming uh, giants are actually considering giving them ad-based tiers. And now finally, Netflix, because of a huge, uh, a tough quarter, they're finally considering it. Uh, they're calling it listening to the consumers, but definitely they're pushed to a corner. Yeah, I think there were two data points that led to the 35% decline in Netflix stock. One of them was the fact that they actually lost subscribers. I think even, even we picking up on this, it was surprising to me to see them lose subscribers. I thought they would miss subscriber growth expectations by a lot, but the fact that they are losing subscribers means that they may have hit their eventual ceiling on subscriber count. And then the second thing that was concerning to me was the fact that they said that they were going to slow down content spend growth because. The content mode, you know, we used to have this concept content is king in media that whoever has the best content is the one that attracts the most viewers and customers. And I think that that is still the case. And I think actually one of the things that Netflix is dealing with, as I just like look as a consumer at these streaming platforms is they don't have as clear of a message on what their hit show is anymore. There's so much content on their site that it's like. What is the Netflix show that I have to watch? I don't really know. I think like in my mind, honestly, as a consumer, I think Bridgerton right now, which doesn't really appeal to me. That's not for my demographic. So there's not like a hot show that people are talking about. And actually the kind of third thing that really stood out from the newsletter that I wanted to highlight to people was the fact that HBO Max was still growing. And I'm noticing as a consumer, when I think of like quality content, I still think of HBO. I still think of HBO. So like this could be, if you want to pick up the falling knife of Netflix, Discovery Warner Brothers actually may be the way to play it because they may have an actual subscriber growth 
tailwinds though, because they have more growth to have than ever. Yeah, they crossed a quarter at 7 million subscribers, uh, 3 million from last quarter, 13 million year over year. So the growth is still strong in that. I would say though, I, I, I concur with you on the aspect of quality. So when I think of Netflix, I, I, there are a couple of times this week, this weekend I wanted to watch something and honestly, I could not find something on Netflix to watch. And it's not for the lack of content, it's the lack of quality content. Because something that can actually hold my attention for about an hour. So the kind of, the kind of content that I see on Netflix is a kind I can put in the background and watch as I do something else. So it's not something that hogs my attention. Now compare that to HBO, some of the shows there are like billions and all. You cannot afford to miss a single second of that because there's a lot of action going on. Succession, all these kind of TV series. I actually found out they have The Godfather this weekend, the movie, and I was watching it a little bit. So I think it's, uh, as you say, it's a, it's, it's a matter of now going into not just creating content, but quality content that people can actually want to pay to be part of. Yeah. I, by the way, think that Free Tastings is still right about the advertising thing. I don't think advertising supported content is what's right for Netflix because, and I don't think HBO will ever go here because again, HBO still has this quality brand, but I think if you're going to be consuming quality content, you want to do it without commercials. Like it's worth paying for that. And the advertising experience cheapens the quality of the content, the experience of watching the content completely, you know, like when you're watching in the old days, if you're watching a show on network television with ads, you put up with the ads because it was also kind of just like this light junky type of show that you were watching maybe in the background, but like HBO people still paid a, a content premium subscription for along with cable because it was worth paying for that content. So I think Netflix had that brand and still has that brand. And I think that's what Reed Hastings is trying to protect. But because they've had this poor quarter dynamic, he's letting that moat go a little bit, which in the longer term may not be so good for Netflix. Um, I think having hit the ceiling in terms of growth of subscribers, they really have to rethink that either they, they switch to becoming more like a, a value play and no longer focus on subscriber growth, consolidating what they have and maybe being a little bit, extracting a little more, more value with the people that they have, or keep focusing on subscriber growth, bring in the ad-based model, maybe check out what that, how that works out. But very interesting play, at least you look at, at the end of the day. I said, we should end there for today. Actually, I, I think there's one other really important note that's in the, in the newsletter this week, and that's on housing markets, which is, there was a comment from Association of Home Builders talking about the housing market being at an inflection point. And not only talking about mortgage volumes going down, it's something that's really well known, but they're also starting to see foot traffic go down. They're trying to starting to see like housing market weakness generally, which again, you go back to the recession question, housing market weakness is generally one of the leading economic areas in a recession into and out because it's so interest rate sensitive. And so if you're seeing like real damage at the margin to the housing, housing markets, it, it suggests that recessionary forces are starting to creep into the actual real economy. And I think that is, that is something people really need to pay attention to. Recessionary forces are definitely starting to creep into the economy just at the margin, just at the margin. But you know, all of the stuff that we've picked up in the past about consumer spending staying so strong a month from now, we may not be seeing that consumer spending is as strong as it was, you know, all of the savings and stuff that people are talking about consumer spending. It's not going to be as big of an impact and we're going to start seeing some deterioration probably. 
Yep, they don't have much to add in terms of the, except for the green light capital court where they talked about uh, housing being slightly different from 2006. Any thoughts on that, by the way? I do agree with that. I think that that's real. The housing markets are, are fundamentally in better shape than they were in 2006. There's been less over building. It's still interest rates as they've done. If you're trying to buy a house at 8% mortgage rates versus 2% mortgage rates, you can spend less money on it. So mm. uh, it'd be harder to clear the inventory, even if there's less. This week is a big, big tech week. Uh, looking forward to see earnings, especially Twitter on, on Thursday. Do you miss them as they go private now with Elon Musk as their boss? <laughs> I have a prediction that Elon's going to flip Twitter. It's going to come back public in like 12 months. And he's going to fix all this stuff and just flip it and make $20 billion on it or something. He can for sure, but it needs a lot of fixing. Looking forward to see what he does with it. But we'll miss Twitter, of course, in the earnings calls. Bye, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Elon's world. We're just living in it. Ah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good place to close. Thank you for joining us this week. See you again next week.